Hey everyone, it's Ramon and welcome to the Human Optimization Podcast, science-based tools to optimize your physiology, master your mind, and unlock your potential. Now before we get into the episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Brain First, earth-grown, evidence-based nutrition. One of the products that I love and I take every workday to fire up my brain and get laser-like focus and interflow quickly is Genius Mode. Now, it took me years of research and testing to formulate Genius Mode for Brain First because I was sick of having dozens of bottles and powders to have to mix together all the different ingredients to give me the effect that I wanted. So Genius Mode has the best science-backed ingredients for peak mental performance in meaningful doses supported by experimental data. I personally take it shortly after I wake up and the focus and the drive and the motivation and the mental clarity lasts me all day. Now to get Genius Mode, use code RAMON for 10% off in addition to any other subscription discounts that you get on the BrainFirst website. Just head to mybrainfirst.com and you'll see a bunch of reviews from other people who are absolutely loving this product. mybrainfirst.com, code RAMON for 10% off and get your brain an instant upgrade. Let's get into the episode. Enjoy, my friends. Let's talk about breathing. (laughs) I'm excited to talk I know it probably seems for a lot of people are breathing. No, it's something that we do. It's something that uh, is necessary. We probably don't think too much about it, but of course it's pretty damn important. So uh, how, did you, how did you get into this whole area? Yeah, I came across breathing. It was from my own health issues as a kid and teenager and into my early 20s growing up with asthma. And asthma, of course, is a breathing difficulty. So One of the challenges is that you're feeling caught for breath. You're running out of air. You get more breathless during physical exercise. But I also had sleep disorder breathing, which is very common with asthma. And the reason being is because with asthma, you have a problem with your lungs, but the problem in the lungs can travel up to the nose. And when somebody's nose is stuffy, they are two to three times more likely to have a sleep problem. So then you're more likely to be snoring. You're more likely to have insomnia, more likely to have obstructive sleep apnea. And culminating with nasal obstruction, when the nose is stuffy, you're going to breathe through an open mouth. And open mouth breathing is probably the primary reason why nasal congestion causes sleep disorder breathing. So I came across this by accident. You know, I know breathing has been around a long time, but it's really information has got so distorted over the years and there has been so much nonsense out there about breathing. Like I remember going around taking these full big breaths to, to alleviate stress back in the day. And all it was doing was reducing blood flow to my brain and putting me into a heightened stress response. Like I never realized that in order for me to improve blood flow to the brain, I should be breathing less air, not more air. Mm. I never realized the importance of the nose in comparison to breathing through the mouth. And yet the vast majority of studios which are teaching breathing are teaching full, deep, big breaths. And it has caused more harm than good. Like it's high time, Raymond, that there's some direction put out there in terms of the breath. And, you know, I found a huge difference when I changed my breathing patterns from taking full, big breaths, from mouth breathing, from fast breathing, from upper chest breathing, breathing in and out through my nose, including sleep. I taped my mouth that night when I first came across it, and I continue to tape my mouth since. And from slowing down the breathing and taking less air into my body, I was able to influence my blood circulation and increase the temperature of my fingers, increase the watery slime in my mouth, other exercises to help open up the nose. And this is never touched with people who are teaching breathing because They are focused too often on breathing more, on focusing on the biomechanics and not looking at the biochemistry and not looking at the importance of nasal breathing. There's so much more to the breath. And if people realize this, I guarantee you that information would spread. And that's what's happening now. The last three years has been a revolution and we cannot keep a pace with with demand at the moment. Um, You know, we have a thousand instructors in 56 countries and it's it's amazing like the workload has i would i can't give you a figure on it but it is absolutely i'd say multiplied tenfold in three years that's where it's gone it hasn't quite hit that tipping point yet but certainly innovators are into it and look who's practicing it 
Navy SEALs, military, elite police forces. We have premiership footballers. We have MMA fighters. We have really high caliber individuals in corporate and sports and military practicing breathing. And they're not practicing breathing to fill your lungs full with air. They're practicing breathing to change states, to improve blood flow to the brain, to increase concentration and focus and attention span, and to be able to deal with stress. And those are tools that we should all be taught because if you think of it, you know, we as kids go to school and we learn the curriculum, but we leave school without knowing how to deal with stress. And that should be the number one thing that's taught in school. We leave school without knowing how to bring a stillness to the mind. School is teaching us how to think. It is not teaching us how to stop thinking. So if I was asked what are the most important traits that we all use, and regardless of any walk of life, we need the power to concentrate, which is holding our attention on one thing. And we need to have a decent attention span, which is the length of time that we are holding our attention on one thing. And if we have a racing mind, we are more prone to anxiety and high stress levels, panic disorder, etc. But our concentration is impacted. Our attention span is impacted. And children don't do as well academically. So, you know, I think my quest now is to get away from what has been traditionally taught in terms of bringing a stillness to the mind. And mindfulness is brilliant, but mindfulness does not address respiratory physiology. 75% of people with anxiety and panic disorder have dysfunctional breathing patterns. You have to fix breathing. You have to change states and you have to improve sleep. So that was my journey. I was lucky. I came across something. I felt it benefits to myself. My primary training is not in breathing. I've got an economics and social studies degree from University in Dublin Trinity College, but I changed careers, and that's when I embarked down this route. So, um, plenty of things that um, I want to dive into, but first of all, how how did we get to the point where we're not breathing well? Like, is it is um, it's a modern society thing? Is it because there's too much out there about breathing, so we're actually teaching ourselves incorrectly like how did we arrive to this point where uh, assuming of course that we were breathing well at some point uh in our history how do we get to this point where you know we really need to focus on this well look at how we lived throughout our evolution we lived remarkably different than how we live today you know our ancestors were out toiling the fields out in nature eating natural food they didn't have mortgages that they're up to their necks in debt. You know, they didn't have the pressures and the competitive pressures. Like modern society has really moved on and many things are positive, but many people are unhappy and many people are chronically stressed. And I think the biggest contributor to poor breathing patterns is chronic stress because we can't deal with chronic stress. We've never had to deal with it throughout evolution. We always had short-term stressors and the body is well able to deal with a short-term stress, but not a chronic stress, not something that's going on for weeks and months and years. So I suppose the food can play a role and the food we eat as young kids, um, stuffy environments, including very well-insulated houses, which were good, of course, for retaining heat, but not great for air circulation. Um, you know, there is a belief you pointed out in terms of the belief that it's good to be taking these full big breaths. And I'm sure that many people are intentionally taking full big breaths in the belief that it's good for them. And they should delve a little bit deeper into that. We're, we're, we're very sedentary nowadays. So, you know, even if we get out for an hour of physical exercise a day, and that's tremendous. Like, that's what I try and get in if I can because of a workload. And many people are not able to get the hour of physical exercise, but our ancestors were, were doing four or five hours of light, moderate physical exercise all day, every day. You know, they were constantly moving, constantly standing up. They weren't sitting. And also look at the amount of time that we spend speaking. Our ancestors, you can imagine somebody out in the fields, and if somebody was nonstop talking for eight hours, 
they would be totally ostracized. But yet, many occupations, it involves nonstop talking for eight hours. And talking does affect breathing patterns. Your breathing gets faster, your breathing gets harder. And anybody who talks for a living, you talk to them. If you, if you ask them, how well do you feel? Or how do you feel after a day's or a few days talking? And they will tell you that they feel tired, they're exhausted, and that's normal. So there's so many factors that are contributing to poor breathing patterns, but mm. essentially it's factors of modern living. God, I remember when I first um, got into the speaking space and uh, I think I did something like about 50 um, weekends, so 51 to two day workshops where I'm speaking eight to 10 hours a day, 50 in the first 18 months. And I remember like, come Sunday, 5 p.m. when I'm finishing up, like I'm spent and I spend the next three days just trying to recover from that, not talking at all, um, my, you know, inflamed in the throat and just like completely wiped out, not from the physical component, but just the, the speaking constantly and trying to project yes. my voice as well. Like it was just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like chronic hyperventilation. And what happens when you breathe too much air? It blows off too much carbon dioxide from the blood. And there's another idea that's out there. The carbon dioxide is this waste gas that you need to get rid of it. It's the greatest load of nonsense that ever, I don't, how on earth did that get out? Because people need to realize that back in 1904, a Danish physiologist called Christian Bohr, B-O-H-R, He's discovered that the pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood is a catalyst for the release of oxygen from hemoglobin. So in short, oxygen is released from the red blood cells to the tissues and organs in the presence of carbon dioxide. But if we were going into a studio and we're taking these full big breaths and, and the instructor is encouraging everybody to hear the breathing and you hear all the students are hearing the breathing and they're doing like movement. So in effect, they will be over breathing to blow off too much carbon dioxide from the, from the blood through the lungs. And it's actually reducing oxygenation of the body. And I don't think original, the original breathing techniques when they came from the Eastern world, they didn't involve hard and fast breathing. Some of them did because, of course, they're stressor breathing exercises. But in the main, the whole thing was about suspension of the breath and retention of the breath. That's all about conserving CO2. It's all about conserving carbon dioxide. So yoga of old, the Western world, we have, in, we have done our own, you know, studies of videos and speaking with people and long depth interviews for, for our own training courses. And seven out of 10 think that full breathing and big breathing is beneficial to health. But I do agree that Anybody who is talking for a living, they need to be very careful about conservation of the breath, whether they are an introvert or an extrovert. You know, you could say that, well, if you're talking all day, I'm an introvert, for example. I live out in the middle of nowhere, isolated from everybody, and I talk for a living. But I talk for a living, but I always make sure that I have days of no talking where I can draw within and that I can conserve energy. But the other thing is, how many people are talking for a living? And then they're sleeping with their mouth open during, during the night. They're traumatizing their upper airways. They're causing cooling and drying of the upper airways, contributing to inflammation. And this then again is going to affect the voice. So talk to us about um, where we might start. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not an MMA fighter. Or I'm not a CEO of a company who has to work 14 hours a day. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not an elite athlete. Uh, you know, let, let's, let's just say I'm someone who wants to, you know, I've heard about breathing. I've heard about the benefits of breathing. I've been given some deep breathing exercises and they don't seem to be doing much, or in fact, maybe causing me to be more stressed out. Like where, where, where's a good place to start and how, what sort of benefits am I going to see? I think the best place to start is to get your mouth closed during sleep. I think it's the biggest and the simplest and most effective thing, you should never wake up with a dry mouth in the morning. And there are different products on the market, and we have a product as well, Myotape. And we, we tape them out for people who have, you know, chronic mouth breathing. Now, I can demonstrate the tape because the tape, the, 
that we use, for example, it doesn't cover the lips. And it's not that I'm here to uh, promote my own tape or anything. A lot of people will be a, a little bit anxious with tapes that cross the lips. Yeah, please, so please one, because I think a lot of people would think, oh, tape my mouth. I don't want to tape my mouth shut. <laughs> but now, first of all, we established that people can actually breathe through the nose, but the vast majority of people can breathe through the nose. My O tape is like this here. So it's an elasticated cotton strip. You stretch it about 40%. There's an elastic tension and it's pulling my lips inwards and it's also stimulating the orbicular source muscle. So it's helping to maintain lip closure, but there's no risk. Yeah. And that would be the first, when people start realizing that when they have their mouth closed during sleep and they're waking up more alert, they start to realize just how important breathing through the nose is. We have to come back to the basics. Nose breathing is the foundation. And this costs absolutely nothing for people to practice. If you're asked, what functions do, does the mouth imply when it comes to the breath? And the answer is zero. It's nothing. So the mouth is simply a hole. And it's a hole whereby air can go straight down your throat. When you breathe through your nose, it's estimated there are about 30 functions provided by the human nose. Nasal breathing increases oxygen uptake. Nasal breathing increases oxygen delivery during physical exercise. Nasal breathing harnesses greater amplitude of the diaphragm breathing muscle. Diaphragm breathing is very important, of course, for lymphatic drainage. It's very important for the motions. It's also very important for stabilization for the spine. So, for example, 50% of people with lower back pain have dysfunctional breathing patterns. Nasal breathing helps to slow down breathing. And slow breathing, especially a slow exhalation, it helps to keep the body and mind calm. Because the brain is monitoring our breathing and the brain also gets communication from the body via the vagus nerve. So you have this communication coming from the body up to the brain. And if we breathe out fast during rest or during sleep, the brain is interpreting that the body is under stress, that there's a trash. And all the brain wants to do is protect the body and get the body out of there. You will have individuals and in their, even their family life, and they're getting into a difficult situation. And naturally, when we do a difficult situation, we can respond with that faster and harder breathing patterns. But it's the fast exhalation that's telling the brain that things are not okay. And this is a situation you can imagine that if the brain just wants to get the body out of there, it's not a time for composure. It's not a time for sitting down and planning. It's a time to get out of the situation. But if you were to change your breathing, you change your state. So for example, if you are in a difficult situation, instead of breathing out fast, take a soft breath in through your nose and have a relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation. And a relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation is telling the brain that everything is okay. Now that's a simple technique. So what I would say is nose breathe during sleep, nose breathe during wakefulness. When you go for a walk, keep your mouth closed. When you go for a jog, keep your mouth closed. Bear in mind that your mouth literally does nothing. Mouth breathing is fast breathing. It's upper chest breathing. It's harder breathing. And initially when you switch from mouth to nose breathing during physical exercise, the degree of air hunger can be stronger. But that's normal because what's happening there is that your nose is a smaller entry to the body than the mouth. So when you do physical exercise with your mouth closed, carbon dioxide increases in the blood. And car carbon dioxide is the primary stimulus to breathe. So the feeling of air hunger is indicating that carbon dioxide is increasing in your blood. But what does carbon dioxide do? It causes hemoglobin to release more oxygen ready to the tissues and organs. But it also dilates your blood vessels. So earlier on, I said that I always had cold hands. Mm. And when I started breathing less air, I was able to influence the temperature of my fingers. And it's not just the blood vessels in your hands. We have 70,000 miles of blood vessels throughout the human body. So nose breathing and light breathing, never intentionally take full big breaths during rest, unless you're doing something like a stressor exercise whereby you're taking 10 or 20 full big breaths to stress the body and mind. 
But if you stress the body and mind, always recover. If you hyperventilate or if you do long breath holds, always bring the body into recovery. And the other aspect of this is what impact are we able to have on the autonomic nervous system? If we look at the research that's come out over the last 30 years and the old kind of traditional view of the autonomic nervous system, it's two branches. You've got the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. But many people are in hyper arousal. They cannot switch at night. They cannot sleep at night when they need to sleep. And they're not fully alert during the day when they need to be alert. But if you change states, you can downregulate before sleep and you can upregulate during the day. And the other aspect is sleep disorder breathing is really overlooked. And it's overlooked with the young child, with the teenager, with the university student, with many people. And if we have sleep disorder breathing, we are more prone to mental health problems. So people are talking about depression and they're talking about anxiety, but they're not looking at sleep. You cannot treat depression, anxiety, and panic disorder unless you investigate a person's breathing patterns. Because if they are in sympathetic arousal, if they're in that constant fight or flight response, you can do all of the CBT in the world. It's not going to bring them into balance. You, can, you need to look at sleep and you need to look at breathing. So, yeah, so, you know, I think it's, it's, it's human nature that we do a training and we're stuck in our little box then for the rest of our careers. And a small select few people get out of that box and say, well, I did my training, but clearly that's not enough. I need to start looking outside the box. And some people do it, but not everybody. The industries are so slow. And very few industries are talking about the importance of nose breathing. We've been talking about it for 20 plus years, putting it out there. There are some orthodontists that get this. There are many speech and language pathologists that get it, and therapists that get it, quite a few dentists who get it. And even from a dental health point of view, if you're breathing through the mouth chronically, you're more likely to have gum disease, you're more likely to have dental cavities, you're more likely to have bad breath, you're more likely to have chapped lips. And many dentists are in the role of sleep. And, you know, if I look at some orthodontist, there's one orthodontist in, in Randwick, if I pronounce it right, I know is it Randwick or Randwick in Sydney. His name is Dr. Derek Mahoney. And he's an orthodontist and internationally he is known. And he has been talking about the importance of nose breathing, especially for pediatrics. Children who are going around with their mouth open, it causes abnormal changes to the shape of the face. They're more likely to develop longer faces, narrower faces, crooked nose, jaws that are set back, high palates, airways that are smaller. And these kids, and I'm one of those kids because my jaws are set back, my nose is all over the place, my nose is bent, my airway is compromised, and I have my mouth open. And we need healthcare professionals really understanding this. And it's high time that they started looking outside of the curriculum that they learned in university because. What they are learning in university is behind the times when it comes to breathing. We have to open this up. And this is really being driven now by grassroots. It's not by the medical professions. It's not by the dental professions, but it is by individuals within these professions who are stepping outside and taking it on board. And it's great. Well, what, are, what are some of the other things that are out there in, in the world that we need to be careful of that are just you know, they're either flat out wrong or they're really working against what we're trying to accomplish here. Like, like what's out there in the space that we need to be aware of and, and basically stop doing? Well, I suppose it's not necessarily about stop doing, but it's about understanding the impact of different breathing exercises. So, for example, if you were doing hyperventilation and long breath tools, I would, as a person who teaches breathing exercises, I would be very careful about teaching those exercises to some individuals. I've made plenty of mistakes myself in the past. I put people into panic attacks. I've had people come in with chronic fatigue syndrome. I'd give them different breathing exercise. I completely floored them. And we have to bear in mind that when a person's autonomic nervous system is taxed, and we are seeing this at the moment now with long COVID, these individuals have no resilience. They're, they're really short of breath. It's affecting primarily females. 
age between um, 30 and 50 years of age. And there are hundreds of thousands of people with long COVID and their recovery post-infection has been going on for 14 plus months. Some of them are bed bound, but their nervous system is taxed. If we give these individuals stress or breathing exercises, Will, give them, will do harm. We have to know what breathing exercises to give to the person. If a person with panic disorder comes in to me, I give them very gentle exercises. I expose them to short breath holds to, to stimulate the vagus nerve. We look at their sleep. We look at improving the biochemistry of their breathing, the biomechanics of their breathing resonance, frequency breathing. So, you know, if one is doing hyperventilation of breath holds, just bear in mind that this is only a temporary exercise to stress the body and mind to cause some adaptations. But it's not how you should be breathing all the time. And then other people should are saying like, you should be breathing in and out, in through your nose and out through your mouth all the time. And that's not correct either. No animal is doing it. You know, you never see an animal out in nature breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. A young infant doesn't do it. If it was important for us to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth, evolution would determine so. That's not the case. So. The simple facts on breathing are breathing should be in and out through the nose. It should be light. You shouldn't really detect it, especially during rest. Of course, during physical exercise, your breathing is going to get faster and harder. But if you were going for a, a jog alongside another individual, how do you breathe relative to the other person's breathing? So you can understand that some people who are in poorer health they do physical exercise, but they get out of breath very easily. So you can have two people doing the same physical exercise, but one is breathing so much harder. So it's really about how that person is breathing during rest will determine how they breathe during physical exercise and also how they breathe during sleep. And yeah, like if I was to break down any breathing exercise, I would always ask if somebody says to me, well, here's a breathing exercise, what is this doing? I would have to question, what's it doing to the biochemistry? And I'm talking here about carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide sensitivity. What's it doing to the biomechanics in terms of, is it causing breathing to be upper chest or is it causing breathing to be diaphragmatic? And what's it doing to the autonomic nervous system? Is it a stressor or is it a relaxer? And when people understand what a breathing exercise is doing, they know then when they want to target that breathing exercise. Does that make sense? So, you know, it, it's just one of those things because it can be very confusing for people. I'm saying to breathe light, but the guy down the road is to say, saying to breathe, breathe more. Well, you have to question what's happening when you breathe more. And for the, the student to realize that if you breathe more, what is it doing to the carbon dioxide? Well, it's going to get rid of it from the blood. And this is going to cause your blood vessels to constrict. This is going to cause blood pH to increase. This is going to cause less oxygen to be delivered throughout the body. But if you breathe hard and fast, you are deliberately stressing the body. And that in turn, you know, stress, we, a stressor can be good because it's causing the body to make adaptations. And nowadays we, we live very much in a comfortable lifestyle, you know, less physical exercise, driven everything everywhere. And modern life is all about comfort. But comfort is not ideal because we don't adapt. What happens then when things go wrong? You know, we want to be resilient. We as human beings need to be able to, to move states. We need to be able to deal with stress and then go back into relaxation. And that's where when we stress the body a little bit, we can help with that. And we use breathing exercises. I use hyperventilation, but I always bring in recovery. So say, for example, if I have somebody breathe hard for 20 breaths, and then we have them do an exhale hold, which we normally do anyway. And then I will have them breathe light then for about three minutes to recover. So if I'm increasing blood pH, I'll make sure that I bring in a different breathing exercises to downregulate here. So, yeah, so I think it's the basic understanding. People should ask the question, what's really going on when I do this breathing exercise? And uh, if you understand a little bit about the physiology, it can go a long way. So um, why don't we shift from uh, you know some of these ideas in terms of stress reduction and building resilience to perhaps people who want to perform better in whatever their chosen field is whether it's uh, and maybe these are separate but perhaps 
uh, for knowledge workers who want to be more productive and they're using their attention and they need to concentrate, they need their focus or perhaps um, sports professionals. Again, maybe, maybe we treat these as two separate things, but for people that are just wanting to be higher performers on a day-to-day basis, what, what's, um, what, I love some of these ideas that you've, that you've brought into your book. So perhaps we can uh, touch on some of these concepts. Yes, like I felt when I was going through university that there was so much pressure on us to do well and succeed in exams, but yet nobody was teaching us how to concentrate. Mm. And I was falling asleep. I left school at 14 years of age. I left high school altogether, never to go back. That's genuine. It's the first time I wrote about it in a recent book, Atomic Focus. I left school out of a sense of frustration. And I wanted to work as a, as a manager in a supermarket, and that's what was my job. So my, my occupation early on in life was to, to work in retail. I ended up going back to school, as life, life always can direct you in different ways. So I went back to school one year later. And I made a promise to really get the grades that I wanted to get. And I studied for 10 and 12 hours a day. And when people ask, like, what do you do in your teenage years? I can't remember doing anything other than studying. And the problem was that I had to study hard to get grades because I didn't have the concentration to hold information. I didn't even have the concentration that when I was looking at a page, even though my eyes were looking at the page, my attention wasn't on the page. My eyes were looking at the page, but my attention stuck in my head. But there must be kids like this in high school, in university, in the corporate world, in sports world. And they're not being taught how to concentrate, but yet concentration is demanded of them. Mm. And mindfulness is not going to work. And I have to say that because mindfulness is brilliant and i'm a huge fan of it but it is not going to work if you have poor sleep and it's not going to work if you have poor breathing if we want to achieve flow states this state of mind is in later relaxation and alertness at this time this is a state of mind of bliss this is when quality of work is performed this is when the athlete and the game become one and if you listen to a documentary on Michael Schumacher. It's currently on Netflix. And in an old interview, of course, before his accident, he talks about that when he was driving, he became one with the car. And that is flow states. And that's that state of mind whereby time goes by, hours go by, and it feels like a second, that you're completely immersed in what you are doing. That way we can reach our full potential and we can really excel at what we are doing. But what do we need to achieve flow states? We cannot have fun, we cannot have sleep disorder breathing. You know, having undiagnosed obstructive mm-hmm. sleep apnea, we're more likely to be fi- waking up feeling lousy. We're not able to function as well. We're more likely to be anxious. And if we have dysfunctional breathing patterns, with a faster breathing rate and upper chest breathing and mouth breathing and irregular breathing, the, the mind is going to be agitated. So how do we address and how do we improve concentration? And first of all, what is concentration? Concentration is your ability to hold your attention with 100% of your attention on a task at hand, any task. And your attention span is the length of time that you can hold your attention on that task. But we have internal distractions and we have external distractions. At the moment, I have external distractions. There's guys outside building and I'm getting knocks and the guys coming in and out the whole time. That's an external distraction. And every time you get an interruption, it takes approximately 20 minutes to get back into that state again. So we do have to be conscious of external distractions, but we also have to be conscious of internal distractions. But we have to get the physiology right first. And for me, Addressing sleep disorder breathing is the absolute key component and it's overlooked. And the elephant in the room when it comes to sleep is breathing in and out through the nose. Now, the top sleep doctor in the world is a man by the name of Dr. Christian Gimeno. And he passed on in 2019, but he's, in the last five years of his life, he spoke about the critical importance of restoring nasal breathing and during sleep. And I remember him standing up in Bordeaux at a medical conference and it was attended primarily by sleep doctors. And he stood up in the middle of the room and he said, 
He said, you are missing the key thing here. And the key thing here is getting people to breathe through their nose during sleep, both, your, both children and adults. But yet 50% of the population are mouth breathing. Wow. They are not going to have a good night's sleep and they are not going to excel. So I think, Raymond, we kind of all know it. You know, we'll all wake up with a, with a poor night's sleep every now and again. And the day that you wake up, it's almost that you're waking up with a hangover, even though you, there's no alcohol taken. Yeah. And you just cannot focus that day. But what about the people who are waking up like that every day of the week? I was that person. That's why I left school at 14. And I was falling asleep in class. And the school teacher told me I'd be better off picking up potatoes out in the field because that's, all, that's what he felt all I was good for. So here you have a school teacher as well that is criticizing a kid due to a physiological response that's wrong with this kid, but yet there's nothing being done to address it. Now, what's that doing to a child's self-esteem as well? And to be honest with you, that's what's gave me a drive, you know, because when I started going into breathing, people said, well, it's not going to work. You're crazy. You're leaving a good career. And I did live a good career. I was in the corporate world. And I went into a career that was really in the domain of medicine, but I knew it worked because it worked on me. It dramatically changed my life and there was no way that I could be unique. My asthma significantly improved and I had 20 years of that complaint. My sleep disorder order breathing significantly improved. My state of mind significantly improved. And if I say what's the hierarchy of needs in today's modern age, to improve concentration and attention span, Start off with sleep. Get your sleep right first. Then improve your functional breathing. And even practice breathing light. So say the last 15 minutes before you go to bed, you might be watching some TV. You're using blue light filter glasses. Take a very soft breath in through your nose, almost like your breath in is imperceptible. And have a really relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation. And then a very soft breath in through your nose. And a really relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation. Breathing to unregulate the mind. What you notice is that if you breathe less air than what you normally breathe by having a very soft breath in and a really, really relaxed and a gentle exhalation, you will feel a hunger for air. And try and sustain that hunger for air for about three to four minutes. Check the saliva in your mouth. Ideally, you have increased watery saliva in the mouth. And the thing about breathing exercise is that it can change states quickly. In a few minutes, you can downregulate. Increased watery saliva in the mouth is that the body is prepared for the digestion of food. And when we are stressed, the last thing the body wants is food. Because when we are stressed, the brain wants us to get out of the situation. So the rest and digest response, we can activate that. And that's what's necessary for sleep. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I then bring in breath awareness. I think it's very important to be able to have some of your attention on your breathing throughout the day and connect with the breath. And the breath is a tremendous resource to connect to, but it's not enough just to follow breathing. It's not enough just to pay attention to it. We need to change it to change our states, especially when we have poor breathing patterns. Body awareness, in other words, that if we are doing something, do it with every cell of your body. You're going into it to do a talk, walk in with every cell of your body, not to be just stuck in our heads. And Western society has gave us that ability to think, but it hasn't gave us the ability to take our attention out of our head. So most of us are walking around. We don't even see what's going on around us because we are living in our head. We are immersed in thought and we are drowning in thought. When you start taking your attention out of your mind and into the body and onto the breath and into the present moment, you see more and you miss less. How on earth can we go through life 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, not even seeing what's going on around us? Now, this should be taught in school. Absolutely. What... Uh... What are most of the people who are coming to your instructors coming for? Like, are they, are they deliberately, like they've, they've maybe seen your work and they're, they're seeking out an instructor because, um, you know, they're more aware of this or are they coming in with specific conditions or what, what is there a range? 
you know, we've got two arms. Um, my traditional my traditional training was in Buteco. So Buteco Clinic is our organization that's international. And in that organization, people come in for 30% of people come in with asthma and breathing problems, including long COVID. 30% come in with sleep disorder breathing and 30% come in with anxiety and panic disorder. And then you might have some people that are coming in, say, because they have a dry mouth, et cetera. Now, with children, children typically come in with either asthma or craniofacial. Um, in other words, their dentist has referred them to do a course to train their breathing. So an orthodontist, many of them will be aware that if they, if they straighten teeth, but if the child continues mouth breathing, there's an increased risk of relapse down the road because it's the tongue that's the scaffolding to hold the teeth in place or, you know, to exert that pressure in the jaws to, to help keep the teeth straight. Now, the other arm that we have is oxygen advantage. And oxygen advantage, the reason that that came about was because people who were attending Buteco were primarily unwell individuals. So I've been working, say, only with unwell individuals for the first 12, 13 years of my work. And I set up Oxygen Advantage, I think in about 2013, 2014. And this was to bring breathing into high performance. So into, for example, the corporate world, into the sporting world, into change states. And listen, we are all human beings. And sometimes when you see an, an athlete and like the different people that we're working with, we have, for example, premiership footballers. These guys are in tremendous physical shape. These guys are elite athletes, but yet they will have their own issues. And they have their own issues before a game, you know, in terms of, and really, I suppose what they want to do is they use breathing to change states. And when you talk to athletes and you talk about the nerves that they had before different games, and they talk to a psychologist and the psychologist is saying that, well, nerves are okay and nerves are good. And if you embrace your nerves, and then I'm saying, well, if you're that anxious and you're breathing as hard and fast, why not change states? Like, why not bring a balance in the autonomic nervous system? Because you can do that through the breath. And that's what we would love to see, that people who are working in the field of mental health should understand how breathing changes states, but they don't in the most part. So, so there's two arms. Anyway, Buteco Clinic and Oxygen Advantage. So... For, for the most part, um, in the clinic, these people are being referred by um, specialists or maybe doctors who have seen an issue and said, right, you need to go and get this sorted out. Some are. Oh. But many, many come to us as a result of the books. Uh, okay. um, so since 2003, I've been writing books on the subject. I've written nine books. Oh, and okay. this year, for example, I had two books that were released. One is called The Breathing Cure, and that's, that's been published now. It's in America. It's going into Chinese, and it's going into a number of different languages. Um, Atomic Focus is the more recent book, and that's about, oh, that's the one you have it, and that's about using simple breathing exercises to help change states. I think a lot of people now are becoming aware of it. James Ness wrote a great book called Rhett. Mm. And James wrote information that would very much support our work as well. You know, what we've been saying about breathing in and out through the nose and light breathing and slow breathing. And James's book is, is wonderful in terms of delving into that subject. So the word is getting out there. It, it's, you know, I suppose people sometimes ask me, well, if breathing is so good, why aren't there any clinical trials? Well, there are in the last 30 years, especially with heart rate variability. Mm. And Heart rate variability is an objective measurement of vagal tone. And that's where a lot of the research is, is on. There's not so much research on nose breathing and possibly because it, you can't commercialize it. You know, so when people are looking for research, we have to bear in mind, well, who's going to fund the research? And asthma, for example, the Buteco first came to Australia in 1994. And there was a clinical trial conducted at the Matter Hospital in Brisbane. It was published in the, uh, the Australian Medical Journal in 1998. And they looked at 40 individuals with asthma, 21 years. They divided them into two groups. One group did Buteco, 
and one group did the in-house hospital program in the Matter Hospital in Brisbane. And they followed them for three months. And at three-month follow-up, the Buteco group had 90% less need for a reliever medication. That's the rescue medication. They had 49% less need for steroids. And they had 70% less symptoms. And the in-house hospital program, which was taught at the Matter Hospital, 0% change. Now, something is wrong there. That if you have somebody with asthma going into a hospital and doing a breathing technique and it's producing 0% change versus what's considered to be, you take what's considered to be alternative or complementary, it shouldn't be. You take is about breathing in and out through the nose. It's about restoring blood gases. It's about improving the biomechanics of breathing, stimulating the vagus nerve. It should be mainstream. When people start putting it into a box, you know, we're not telling people to come off medication, but what we are saying is if you have a kid or an adult with asthma going around with their mouth open, if you have somebody with obstructive sleep apnea sleeping with their mouth open and breathing fast and upper chest, their breathing patterns are aggravating their condition. Why not address their breathing? And the one thing is, yeah, I get it. You know, people compliance is not always, is not always 100%. Of course, humans are humans, but when anybody comes in through our door or if we work with them, I will give them the reasons of why they need to put this into practice. And I want to have them experience it over a number of, of days and weeks. And even if they fall off the bandwagon, they still have a choice that they can go back to doing their breathing exercises. And ultimately, we want people to bring this into their way of life. If you go for a walk, don't breathe in and out through your mouth. If you sleep, don't breathe in and out through your mouth. If you're getting into a difficult situation, bring your attention to your breathing patterns. And even if you just have to slow down the exhalation for 90 seconds. So yesterday, for example, I was giving a presentation to a dental board and they had sent me two Zoom links. And of course, I'm in on one Zoom link and they're in on the other Zoom link. So, you know, you're sitting here. And for 10 minutes, I'm waiting, wondering what on earth is going on. But there's a 10 minutes that you know there's people on the other side waiting. And I will always connect with the breath. And I'm not saying that I'm going to do it perfect or anything like that, but it's always there for me. I connect with my breathing. And whenever I feel if there's a little bit of tension coming on, is to take that soft breath in through the nose and the really relaxed and slow, gentle breath out. Nobody would even see you doing it. Mm. But yet... I can change states. And on that book, Atomic Focus, I wrote, um, there was a brain surgeon and I took it from an interview with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, who's a, he's kind of a TV celebrity doctor in the United Kingdom. He was interviewing a brain surgeon and the brain surgeon says, he says, when I get into a tricky situation, the first thing I do is prevent myself from hyperventilating. And I said, of course, this guy knows it. Of course he does. But why don't the rest of us know it? Why doesn't a child going into an exam know it? Why doesn't a teenager know it? The university student know it? The corporate person work know it? They get into a tricky situation and they hyperventilate because they have not been taught how to change states. That's crazy. It's, it's simple. It's so effective. It can shift our state so quickly and yet like most people don't even think about it or don't even consider it <laughs> like it's just it's insane yes. <laughs> yeah any uh any final thoughts for our listeners anything you'd like to leave them with you know the best thing to do is is actually just put it into practice and start with nose breathing and start paying attention to your breathing and if you do get into a tricky situation bring your attention onto the breath you know if you have some downtime, like I have plenty of videos up on YouTube, you, you can, I'm not saying you're going to learn every information, you know, on YouTube, all of the videos for children are free on YouTube. Many of the videos and exercises for adults are up there free. If you have a stuffy nose, which affects about 10% of the population, you don't just have a stuffy nose. You're more likely to have sleep problems. And if you have sleep problems, you're not going to be reaching your full potential during the day. You're not going to be as productive as you should be. And you could be more likely to be anxious as a result of it. You can decongest the nose by simply holding the breath. And this is known since 1923. 
don't do this exercise if you're pregnant or if you've got serious medical conditions. But other than that, it's pretty, it's a normal exercise. You take a normal breath in through the nose and out through the nose, and you pinch your nose and hold your nose. And as you hold your breath, you gently nod your head up and down. And you continue nodding your head up and down until you feel a moderate to strong air hunger. And then let go, but breathe in through your nose. And do that two or three times, or even do it five times with about a minute's rest in between each. See, does that decongest your nose? In the vast majority of people, you will notice a difference that your nose is opening up, even if you've got a head cold. If you're feeling stressed, take a soft breath in through your nose and really have a slow and prolonged, slow and prolonged exhalation to help stimulate the vagus nerve and to activate a calm response. If you're very, very stressed, do small breath holds, or if you're having asthma symptoms and just the initial stages of asthma, do small breath holds. You'll find that on YouTube as well. When you're doing your physical exercise, at the start, it's going to be a little bit tougher when you switch to nose breathing. Just slow down a little bit, but continue doing your physical exercise with the mouth closed, and your fitness levels will improve within a number of weeks. The other aspect is that you have less dryness of the mouth. You're more likely to be hydrated. You've got better oxygen uptake. And also nose breathing is connected with greater amplitude of the diaphragm. So I think the proof is when people will find the benefit. And that's the reason that I'm still doing this 20 years later. If these exercises were producing no results, I would not be doing it. You know, that's the way it is. But it's got to a stage now that we can't keep up with it. And that's great. It's finally getting out there. Mm, mm. Love it. Guys, Atomic Focus uh, and the new book, The Breathing Cure. Yes. The, uh, I'll put the links in the show notes so you can check them out. And uh, also a link to Patrick's work as well. Thank you very much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome. Thanks very much, Raymond. So that's it for this episode. If you want to support the show, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, drop a five-star review, and of course, you can connect with me on social with the links in the description. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon. Bye.